This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Bochim uh, Abayim, welcome everybody and welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers, uh, literally from around the world. There's a lot of uh, actually hakarat of gratitude that I have to have for Torah Anytime. That, uh, um, you know, it's, it's one thing about seeing, you know, that they, you know, all the numbers that they actually have, the amount of volume that they have people go and visit their website and do that is one thing. But I see it personally on a first-hand basis where you get emails from everywhere, where you get phone calls from all over the world where people are listening to the Yeshua Torah. It's really mind-boggling how, how people are, are actually have so much access to Torah only because of that. And I'm also, and this is not something that they ask me to and uh, to do, but I strongly, 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 you know, uh, feel that if right now it's coming Elul, the the time for for Judgment Day is coming. If you want to have a good Judgment Day, one of the things that you're supposed to do is Taka. We know it's Taka charity, Tatsil Mimavet saves from death. If you want a good cause of charities, besides giving to Bejeudah, obviously, and but but Torah anytime, Torah anytime, you know, it's something that publicizes Torah. Um, and you go in there, you don't have to pay to watch a class. You don't have to pay to download a class. Everything is completely free, and it's for open for the public, and it's, it's it, you know, obviously it costs money because they don't charge anything. So I strongly recommend that. Again, they didn't even ask me to this. I'm, I'm just doing this on my own personal, uh, like I feel like like I need to. I, mean, I should really scream about this every time. But it's it's uh, really important, and you'll have a great, great suhut coming into uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, so the topic is today is, is uh, we're going to answer some questions that we started off last week, uh, and we are going to get it, focus more today on, on the full answers. You don't have to know or listen to last week's class in order to understand this week's class. But if you uh, strong, uh, if you do, I strongly recommend uh, Torah anytime. Uh, I wish I remember the naming of the class that I posted uh, last week. It was called um, "How We Are to Understand the the Problems in Life" and something along those lines. So. The, the real focus I want to do today is actual suffering, that people have suffering. Everybody, uh, you know, in this, you know, world suffers to some extent. From the richest to the poorest to the healthiest to the sickest, everybody, everybody has some, some issues. And, uh, you know, like, it could be anything from, from something that's constant suffering, that you have sicknesses, or you lost a loved one, or, you know, um, money issues. These are things that are constantly in people's mind, and constantly people are always boggled down on it. Not so much so that they even, it, it depresses them. It brings them down, and it's not able to. They're not able to serve God, and they're not able to do anything in life because of certain sufferings and problems that come into their life that they they just sort of uh, are stuck on it. The biggest one I would probably say in America, unfortunately, is money. And it's and it's interesting. It's not the people that don't have any money at all that are the ones that are suffering. It's the people that think that they they don't make enough. It's those people that say, oh. If only I make a little bit more. If only I make... Well, most people say it's if only I make a lot more. I, I met somebody, a not-Jewish person. I don't know if I told you the story. Uh, many years ago, and uh, he was maybe in, around the 60s. And he was an engineer making about $150,000 a year. And he was a single guy living by himself, you know, no, no like family expenses or things like that. And he opened up to me. Yeah, we met, we spoke for a little bit and he opened up to me right away. And he said, listen, you know, uh, life is tough. Life is hard. So I'm like, well, what's going on? What life is hard? You know, and we started speaking about what he does on a daily basis. And it turns out that he, um, and I don't know if this number makes sense. He smokes about, uh, $40 worth of marijuana a day. I don't know if that makes sense. So he has money. So I'm assuming he's buying the good stuff. I don't know what the price goes in it. One time I said this in a certain class. I was like, yeah, $40. I'll buy you like, and they were like, everybody's dealers in there. I'm like, what's going on? Um, how do you guys know all this stuff? I'm like, oh, whatever, you know. Ask him about Torah, we don't know. And tell me about an eight ball, how much it weighs and how much all these things are, right? You know, everything else, they, they, people know the, the, the 
information that's not necessary. For the information that's important, you know, people don't understand. So it's funny, because I said a certain amount, well, yeah, I'll buy you about this amount of size. They're able to even say the, the size. They can figure the weight by just looking at it. It's like, you know, professional diamond dealers, they see a diamond, they're able to say exactly, without actually weighing it, they could say approximate. So these are the same type of uh, uh, people. But in any case, so he's, he's spending a crazy amount, at least I thought, a crazy amount of money a day on marijuana. And I'm like, what, why? And he's like, oh, because I'm not a millionaire yet. He's a, so, but I said, I mean, you're leaving comfortably. I mean, he's, you're non-Jewish. You know, he's like a Greek Orthodox, whatever, Christian. And, uh, you know, he's not even so religious. Uh, he's living at home. He's like, what more do you need? He's like, oh, come on. You see my friends? You see what my friends have? Oh, you see what my friends have? And then you understand why, uh, you know, why I'm, I'm suffering so much. So this guy, who's living an extremely comfortable life, able to go on vacation, has a, gr- a well-paying job, and is able to accomplish a lot, is still not happy. He's suffering inside. Why? Because he thinks he can get more. He thinks he can make more. This is also, you know, like a marriage. People that are married is also a very big problem that they, that's going on now. Either they're not married and they're trying, they're, they're suffering because they want to get married, or they're married and they're suffering because they are not happily married. So in any form of case, even people who can't marry, can't have children, married, have children, and they're not so happy with their children. You know, people that are, are healthy, but they want to be healthier. People that want to be skinnier, bigger. Everything just brings this person down. So people have suffering in life, so we have to understand what's going on and that, that the Torah says that we can understand it to make our lives, uh, you know, put, bring it into our lives to see how we could actually benefit it and uh, help ourselves. There is uh, something that I heard today, and when I heard this, it started made my blood pressure boil. It was this, unfortunately, a Jewish guy. His mother's Jewish, father's not. Uh, he's a, a actor, a very famous actor from England. And he was, uh, he was being interviewed by somebody. I didn't, I didn't look too much into this, but he was interviewed by somebody, I'm assuming. He, this guy, this actor was an atheist. The guy he was interviewing was some sort of Christian, whatever. Uh, I don't know what he was. So some sort of talk show. I, I, I really don't know. I'm not familiar. So he says, uh, um, he goes to him and he says to this atheist and he says, if you go up to heaven and there is a God, what are you going to tell him? What are you going to tell this, uh, this God? So he says, uh, this atheist, uh, I'm telling you, I, I'm holding myself back from saying Yimachshemo, right? <laughs> this, because uh, he's a Jew, obviously he's, he's lacking of knowledge, that's the only reason. That, but he's an atheist, and he says, and if he comes up to God, this is what this atheist is saying he's going to tell God. He's going to tell him, how dare you? How dare you, bone cancer for children? How dare you? All the suffering in this world? For, it, where's the justice? There's not all the kids that suffer, the hunger, the pain. There's so much suffering in this world. You know, and, and this is what he would tell God. So this Christian uh, talk show host says, uh, you think you'll get in with that uh, type of uh, conversational entrance? So he says, this atheist says, to be honest, I don't know if I'd want to go in. He says, I want to go in on my turns. This chutzpan, this guy who is, uh, deserves five slaps in his face, says, oh, what do you know about God? All the atheists all of a sudden have all the answers. They have, they know everything. They know, oh, oh no, this, this makes, this makes no, no sense. It's like going to somebody who's an, you know, a, a, a nuclear physicist and start explaining to him, oh, everything you're working on is just magic. It doesn't even exist. You guys should be burned at the stake. Like, what are you talking about? You never learned anything about it here. What are you starting to, first sit, become a physicist, then go into an engineering school, and then go into all these advanced, you know, college courses that you need to understand what you're talking about. And then you can have a conversation. You have atheists who never opened up, uh, you know, I don't want to say the Bible because the Bible is, you know, the Bible. You know, what's the Bible? The Bible is somewhere, you know, that they put in every hotel room. But they never opened up the Torah. They never read the Torah. And yet they know all the answers. Atheists are, it's a very unfortunate thing because they don't have a happy life. They'll say that they're happy. They'll say that they'll pretend to be happy. But what happens if bad things happen to them? 
right away. It, they can't blame it on anybody else. They can't put it on that there's a higher power, there's a reason for everything. They're like, well, I screwed up or whatever it is. So that everything that goes wrong, all effect, everything is, is, goes down to them. So they keep on suffering and suffering and suffering. And all the bad things that happen to it, they can't, there's no guidance for them. There's no, they're like, I just messed up. And which obviously someone who believes in religion should also fit, look into that. But there is no, there's nothing. That's it. There, there's nothing then. So the, what we know, and you know, a strong believers in the Torah, in God, we know that everything that happens to a person happens for a reason, good and bad. You know, it's very interesting because we have this question, and this question is such a most pop- famous question, is how come righteous people suffer and the wicked people prosper? Did, which means is basically, what people usually say is, I'm listening to God. If I'm listening to God, then why is life not happening according to my plan book? And it's very interesting if you ask those people, let's say they close the big business deal. Do they ever say, why me, God? I don't deserve this. Oh, you think I deserve this? Someone won the lottery. I'll be like, really, God? Why me? There's so many better people out there. There's so many better people that deserve it. But when it comes to the suffering, there is the why me question that comes up. So let's try to understand what is the reason that suffering comes upon a person. Why does God send these suffering and how we can learn from it. And not only that, if we do learn from it and we do understand where they're coming from, we'll be able to uh, avoid them or at least minimize them. So the it says that when when suffering comes upon a person... The Gemara says, which means that you should look into his action. God doesn't send you something, suffering, for no reason. It has to be for a reason. And if it's for a reason, then the smart person will wait, will start thinking and be like, alright, why is this happening? Let's try to figure it out. Somebody who's bleeding, he has a business, and it's bleeding money. He's not going to just keep on going to business, at least he, unless he wants to just lose everything. But if he's smart, he's going to be like, hey, what's going on with my business that it, that's not that's not bringing revenue? He starts looking into, into his uh, you know his business tactics and his you know sales and his marketing and everything he puts together until he finds the source of the problem. The same thing happens if bad things happen in your life. You should, you have to know that everything that happens in your life, whether good or bad, is ordained from above. Which means as God said, this is good should happen to you or this is bad to happen to you. If this is good, bless God. If it's bad, there's a reason for it. God's not just sending you something. So we have to look into our, into our, into ourselves and introspection and see what is the reason that this is God is sending this. Now, if some, if I were to ask people, what would you rather? Would you rather have suffering in this world and be clean in the next world? Which means in the next world, you have open gates to heaven. You're just welcomed in with open arms or have suffering, have, have a great life over here. And then deal with the with the issues in the in the after in the after uh, in afterworlds. So what? You, no, 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 but hopefully it should be good in both worlds. Hashem, I, listen, we're talking about a class of suffering, and and I don't wish, even though we're going to speak about how suffering is really for the benefit of the person, I don't wish suffering on anybody. Right? We don't want suffering. We don't. We don't. You know, no, thank you. But if it comes, we have to know how to respond to it. But obviously, it's much better that you don't. Let's have, let's have a good life in this world and a great life, a great, uh, you know, just opposite. I have a great life in this world and an amazing life in the, in the, in Olam Abba. But, oh, one person. <laughs> Alright, one, one, uh, but, but one idea is, is that, that if it does happen, how do we handle it? How do we deal with these types of situations? Now, the first thing is, is that if somebody gets suffering in this world, know that you're getting pennies on the dollar. And I'll explain it, you know, if, if you're doing real estate, right? And you have a, a real estate deal that comes up and this guy's going into foreclosure and he just needs to sell the building really fast. This building is worth $10 million. But he needs to get rid of it so quick. You want to know one of the, one of the big reasons why people have to get rid of buildings so fast and they don't care? Divorce. They don't want their wife to get it. They'll lose money just so that she doesn't get it, right? 
the one time that they one time they said the love of their life all they do is want to just get her you know whatever you can unfortunate people get into this hatred mode and uh, but but one of the big reasons why people uh, why want to like get rid of real estate fast is that they're getting a divorce and they don't want the wife to split the thing so they rather go and take the money and then put it in whatever bank account and you know move it around they'll take you know, 10% of what it's worth, just to get it, you know, just to, just to sell it quickly. So let's say you're able to get something for for one for a building that's worth $10 million, you're able to get it for $1 million. You'll jump on it. You're going to be like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. Imagine you're able to get it for $100,000. Even if you don't have the money, you'll find the money. You'll you'll make friends that you have never even wanted to speak to before. I say, listen, get, just give it to me for, for a week. As soon as I get it, I take out a mortgage. I'm paying you back double. You get $200,000. Uh, which is, uh, by the way, questionable regarding uh, interest, reg- interest regarding a, a Jew when you do that. But... The, the idea is, is that there's ways to make money by buying real estate, by buying something called pennies on the dollar, which means it's not worth anything. It's not, it's, you're, you're, you're saving a lot of money. If let's say, and let me bring this uh, idea a little further with this example. Uh, let's say you wanted to open up a business deal. Uh, you wanted, I'm sorry, open up a business. And you're looking, you, you build a business plan and, and you figure out all the money, the amount of money that you need. You think this thing is going to be crazy, crazy, crazy successful. And you figure out you need $5 million to open it. Significant sum, so you start figuring out a way on how to, you know, raise that money, and then you hear about this really, really wealthy, 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 you know, person who's, you know, always likes to give, always people in the community, any of you Jewish, he'll just give, he'll just give, you know, he wants to help, and so you like memorize whatever you're going to tell you you arrange a meeting and everything you have exactly how you're going to say you're so nervous, and you get into that meeting and you sit down. And he starts schmoozing with you, he starts talking to you, hey buddy, what's going on? And all of a sudden you feel like very close to him. He's like a very nice, welcoming, warm guy. And you start presenting him your whole your whole business idea. And he says, yeah, that's an amazing idea, that's great, I love it. Whatever you need, you got it. And this, you know, you're sitting over there, you just want to give him a big hug and just, you're like, you know, you're like crying. And you're like, this is, I didn't think it would be this easy, thank you so much, wow, this is amazing. And he gives you a check, signs a check, $5 million, puts it in your bank account, right? And, uh, you know, months go by, and unfortunately, one bad decision after another, the whole thing tanked, right? You lost uh, everything. All $5 million, you lost it all. Now, this guy wasn't involved in the business. He says, listen, come to me in six months, and uh, we'll, we'll work on the finances to see, because you needed some time to get the business off the ground. When you, when you come uh, six months, we'll work on some sort of payment plan back. Six months has come, you know, it's already four months, and you have nothing. You've got to close up shop, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell it? So, meanwhile, for two months, you're racking your brain, losing your hair, you know, stress is eating you up. It's like, how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to tell this guy? I'm so, I owe him five million dollars. I, you know, how am I supposed to pay that back? And finally, you know, you're stressed out, you know, you look like you aged six years in two, in, in two months, and you go meet this person. And you go over to him, and, you know, he sees, he takes a look at you, and he sees already what's going on. And he, you basically open up to him and say, listen, you're, you know, you're an amazing guy. You did so much for me. You know, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Everything went, went sour. And, you know, he's sitting there thinking for, for a while and he says, yeah, all right, listen, we'll work on some sort of, uh, a, you know, payment plan. You know, but don't worry about it right now. I understand you lost it. We'll figure something out. And he leaves. Now you feel even worse because this guy's so nice. <laughs> you're like, oh, great. Now I've, two weeks later go by and you see him walking in the street. The first thing that you want to do is cross the street because he's so embarrassed. But you know, you know what? You stay in the same street. He's going to say hi to him. You see him, and he takes a look at you. He says, "Oh, hi. How was everything?" And you say, "Listen, everything. You know, You know, listen. I, I still, I'm sorry. I still don't have anything to pay you back." And he thinks for a second. He says, "Listen." He says, "You know, I don't have my wallet on me." This rich guy says. He says, uh, "And I want to go buy a burger right now." He says, uh, "Why don't you spot me this burger, and we'll call it the, uh, we'll call it Even Stevens." And you're like, uh, <clears throat> you know, suddenly your blood is. Whew, 
well down, you're like getting dizzy. You're like, uh, you, you mean just even what? <laughs> you can't even say the words out. What do you mean even? You mean I won't owe you anything? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Bochus Hashem, bless with money. I understand your hardships. We'll call it even. Just buy me this burger. Would anybody in the right mind say, you go buy your own burger? Says I don't know. You're gonna jump. Is it everything on the menu for this guy on me? And you know, take doubles of everything. You'll do anything for the. You know, that's that's a joke. You're paying five dollars for something that you own five million dollars. This is the difference of suffering in this world versus suffering in the next world. Suffering in this world is paying five dollars from five million dollar loan. Suffering in the next world, you have to pay the five million dollars. That's why God sometimes sends suffering in this world to people, and we'll soon see which type of people, is because He loves you. He wants to give you pennies on the dollar for something that you have to pay millions for. And people, what do people say? Why me, God? It's like imagine this guy who's buying a burger. Is, is saying, oh, come on, I wish I wouldn't have met him. Uh, now I have to pay for his burger. The guy's a fool. This is how we have to understand. When suffering comes upon a person, suffering is coming, that you're paying pennies on the dollar for what you owe in the next world. Now, the, the, the most famous question that's asked on, you know, how do we know God and how do we, you know, about the Holocaust. If God existed, and if there is such a God, then how do, we, how do you explain the Holocaust? So I want to give you an answer from the explanation of the Holocaust from somebody who actually was in the Holocaust and did not make it. He died. He was a very, very big rabbi by the name of Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman. And uh, he explains this as follows. He explains and he says, uh, he gives a, a, a parable, a mashal. And he says that one time uh, there was a guy who wanted to learn about our agriculture. He wanted to learn about farming. And he knew nothing about farming. Like zero, he had no idea. He's never seen a, a field before. He like just literally off the moon. And he comes over to this farmer and he says, listen, can you, can you uh, teach me about uh, farming? So the guy says, sure, um, I'm about to start actually plowing a fresh field. Why don't you come and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll show you the ropes. So he starts, he, go, he brings him to this beautiful field filled with grass. It looks, you know, like it smells amazing. It's fresh grass. And he's like, wow, this is beautiful. And uh, the farmer says, hey, relax, we didn't start yet. You know, he takes, he jumps on his plow and he starts plowing the field, digging all everything up. So this guy is watching him. This farmer says, what are you, crazy? He says, you have beautiful grass here. Why are you, why are you turning everything uh, over? And the farmer says, relax, relax, we, you know, this is the process. So I said, all right, fine. He starts, he plows the entire field, and the entire field looks garbage now. Looks like mud turned over, no grasses there, everything is disgusting. And um, the farmer brings him a bag of, uh, you know, big bag of plump kernels. And he says, uh, you see these seeds? And he says, yeah, they look amazing, they look great. He says, good. He says, we're going to throw each one on the ground. He says, well, this guy was Michelle God, this guy's crazy. He says, you have good seeds, you had a good land, you threw it up. Now you have good seeds, you're going to throw it on the ground? So the guy farmer said, listen, relax, we're just starting over here. He puts a seed on the ground, this guy's thinking this guy's crazy. He's wasting seed, he's wasting everything. And he says, All right, well, listen, let's, let's wait and see. He goes and he plants the, the seeds and he waters it and he says, all right, come back in a few, a few weeks, a few months, whatever the time length was. He comes back in a few months and he sees a long rows of beautiful little stalks. And the guy smiles and says, oh, now I see. He says, now this is much nicer than what you had before. He says, oh, you, you did an excellent job. And the guy says, well, relax, relax. We're still in the process, the farmer says. And the farmer goes and he starts, uh, you know, watering it more. And the plants slowly but surely they grow until they become full, full-grown stalks. And he sees the stalks and he says, wow, this is beautiful. The full field, there was nothing before and now it's full. This is amazing. Then the farmer goes and he takes these uh, special knives and he sees the sieves and he starts chopping the entire thing down. This guy's pulling his hair. He says, after all this time, you're destroying everything you just built. The farmer says, well, relax, patience. He takes all this stuff and he separates the, the stalks from the kernels. 
And then he takes and he puts a, the, the kernels in, in a bag, the stalks in, a, in another bag, in another section of the field. And he takes the stalks and he brings it to a mill that plum, like powders it to, to fine dust. And this guy, this guy's looking and says, finally you got something out of it. You got this, you got some kernels. He says, now you're gonna destroy it, you're plowing it to dust? He says, you're crazy. So the farmer says, relax, we're not finished yet. He goes and then he takes this, uh, this fine powder and he puts it in bags and he brings it home. He takes the, this, this white powder and he puts it into a bowl and then he mixes up with water and then he sees this, gets this like white mud, this person says. He says, now I know for sure you're crazy. He says, what are you making mud now? Out of all this time, all you made is mud? And he slowly, the farmer forms a loaf of bread. What is shape of a loaf of bread. So then the guy says, oh, now I understand it. Now I understand what you're doing. This is finally, now I see. So the farmer says, one more thing we have to do. He opens up a fire and he puts it in the fire. This guy says, this guy's crazy. He just burnt everything that you're, you're burning everything that you worked for. He says, relax. He takes it out of the fire when it was done. And then he cut him off a slice of bread and says, here you go. Now taste it. Then, the, then this person now sees the whole idea, the whole process of the farming. This is how Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman explains the Holocaust. He says, the Holocaust, we see a little part. You see the, 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 the farmer plowing the field. We don't know what's going on beforehand, what's afterwards. We don't know the full story. The very famous example that's easy to use is like you walk in the middle of, mo- of a movie and you see somebody shooting somebody else and be like, this guy's a murderer. Meanwhile, this guy just shot Osama bin Laden. So he's the you know, biggest hero in the, entire, in the entire planet. We walk in the middle of a movie and we expect we know everything. Atheist, who this person that we started off with, he says, oh, why do these children have cancer? What you think God is, to, you know, is like, oh, let's give this one cancer and let's give this one uh, uh, just no here without any cancer. Let, yeah, and let's just watch. What do you think? God is sitting up there making things that because he's bored? Everything has a reason. Everything has a purpose. Little children, unfortunately, when they get sick, there's a reason for it. People that get sick, there's a reason for it. People that lose money, there's a reason for it. There's, no, there's nothing that happens by chance. There's nothing that just happens just because because God is evil, whatever they, whatever they would uh, think. So, the, there's, there's something very interesting that uh, I, I, one of the first classes that I, that I uh, put up on Torah Anytime, somebody messaged me a story and he said, listen, he says, I don't know if uh, you could use this, but I heard this amazing story and I figured I'll tell it to you. And to be honest, I said, that's an amazing story, I heard it before. And I need to, I really do need to use it. I completely forgot about it. I completely forgot. Usually I like to write things down. I completely forgot about it. This afternoon, I remembered about it. I remembered about it. So I want to share with you, uh, with this story and how people, uh, uh, you know, you'll understand a lot more from this story. There's one somebody, and this is a Mashallah parable. There's one somebody who went over to King Solomon and he says, uh, listen, I need you to teach me the language of the animals. And King Solomon says, get in line with everybody else that asks. Right? And he says, no, 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 I, I really, and he, this guy is a nudnik, you know, he's like pestering, he's like every day, he's like, oh, no, to teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, so fine, so fine, you know what, I'll teach you that language of the animals. He sits him down, and he starts teaching him the language of the animals. He teaches him how birds, and what the words, and everything that they, they say to an extent that he's able to understand every single animal. So this guy, after he finishes his whole uh, session with uh, King Solomon, he's walking down, you know, in the street, and he's like, this is awesome, you know, I got the language of the animals. So he goes home, and he says, you know what, let me listen to what my uh, cow is saying. He's uh, going into into the into the he hangs around the the, cow, the cows and the cow is saying uh, to another cow. He says, uh, "Listen, um, you know our farmer is going to have a very very big fire in the barn. He's going to lose everything tonight." And the farmer is listening. He's like, "What?" And and he's uh, huh? <laughs> because of, so he comes and he says uh, and he says right, apparently in this story. So uh, uh, this is a much out of parable. It's not a real uh, story. So he goes and he says. Uh, 
I, I got to do whatever I can. So he goes and he takes out all the animals from the barn. He takes everything out from the barn. He, he basically puts it, and he looks at this. There's no way for it to happen a fire, but whatever it is, he's nervous just in case. He takes everything out. And lo and behold, in the middle of the night, he smells smoke. He runs out and the whole barn is on fire. He's like, wow, this is crazy. He's like, thank God that I know the language of the animals. So he goes and he saved his whole, uh, his, all his, uh, um, all his, all his property that was in the barn. The next day he goes and he starts, he's gonna listen to the chickens. And the chicken says, he says, you know, the, you know, the farmer has a racehorse. And that racehorse, you know, he's gonna get uh, stolen tonight. So the farmer's like, oh no, not on my watch, he's not. So he goes and he, the entire night he's sitting and watching this racehorse. And then in the middle of the night, surprisingly, surprised again, he sees somebody climbing in, trying to steal the racehorse. He starts screaming and, and scares the robber away. Then he's like, he's like, I don't understand why King Solomon didn't want to teach me this earlier. This is amazing. I'm saving everything. The last day, the third day, he comes and, and there is a, a, he hears the dogs talking. And the dog says, he says, listen, tonight the master's son is going to die. So he says, he says, oh no, how am I supposed to fix this? What am I supposed to do? So he's not, he's not sure what to do. He's like, he looks completely healthy. He says, but they were right. The animals were right three times, three, uh, you know, two times, uh, two for two so far. He says, I gotta take this seriously. So he runs quickly back to King Solomon. And he comes to King Solomon and he says, uh, he says to him, he says, you know, I have a situation. And he tells him the whole story. And he says, how am I supposed to, I was able to save my, my, my farm, my barns. I was able to save my racehorse. But how am I supposed to save my, my son? I, you know, that's out of my control. So King Solomon says, listen, he says, you had a certain amount of suffering coming to you. So God says, you know what, better, better than ultimately kill, taking your son away, let me send you a sign. Let me send you a sign, let me destroy your barn. I'll destroy your barn, maybe you'll wake up, you'll say, okay, why did God do this? Maybe I have to fix something. But you decided that you're smarter, and you, you threw every, you got rid of everything. Then you had another, uh, you know, another wise idea that you're gonna listen to another animal. You listen to another animal, and then God said, listen, he didn't listen for the barn. Alright, let me give him another chance. I don't want to take away his son. Let me make his racehorse, uh, you know, get stolen. So this way maybe he'll start waking up and, and fix his deeds and fix his actions. And you are too smart, and you again, you outsmarted, outsmarted again, or so to speak, that you thought you outsmarted God. Now, finally, God said, listen, you, you give me no choice. I tried to send you messages. I tried to give you tips and hints and things like that, but you didn't take it. So what are you, now you're left with what? Now you're left with it. You have to, you, your son has to, has to go. That was the ultimate goal. There are some people that have suffering in life. So what the first thing that they do? Let's go to Mukubal. Please, tell me what I have to do so I don't have to change my life at all. Here's $180. Give me something. Put a mezuzah. Do this. Do something so I don't have to change myself. It doesn't work that way. If you have something that's imp- that that God is sending you a reason, there's a reason for it. There's a reason why people there's a reason why people have bad dreams. There's a reason why people have suffering. There's a reason why people have sicknesses. If you go and you completely ignore the messages from God, all you're doing is you're just inviting more messages that have to come. So the smart person will will realize he will go and he'll start looking at his deeds and say, okay, what do I need to do? That why is God doing this to me? And what do I need to do to make this stop? If I'm not wealthy and I really want to be wealthy, what can I do to become wealthy besides working like a dog for 16 hours a day? So, the, um, the Shari Juba in the second uh, uh, chapter says that for suffering, two, two, two reasons why suffering comes to a person. Number one is to atone for sins. Which means, if someone had previous sins, and this also explains why, you know, people all of a sudden become Balei Juba. They come, they just say, okay, God, you know, um, I realize that I was wrong, I realize that I'm right. I'm all yours. I'll do everything. Shabbat, kosher, everything, 100%. And then they really, they see that their life is not going as planned. And one reason is, is that, is that, uh, it's, it's, you have a lot of backlog of, you have a lot of orders that you have to pay up that you've messed up in the previous time. This is what people, uh, this is what, uh, you know, if someone says, you know what, I, 
I want to keep Shabbat, but not yet. Soon. Soon I'm going to keep Shabbat. Every Shabbat that you push off, you're bringing upon yourself more suffering. So Shabbat, one of the things is karet. Karet is one of the, one of the sins that brings suffering upon a person. So every time you don't keep Shabbat, you're bringing suffering upon yourself. And every, one, every single Shabbat brings another more. Somebody that comes Baal Shabbat, there is, and we spoke about it in, in uh, the Karat class, is how to get rid of those sufferings. And how to, if you did do those, those things and you don't want to get suffering, there's ways to get out of it. And just to answer now, to give you very briefly, is that you do, you listen to God when it's hard for you. When you listen to God when it's hard for you, you don't want to learn. You're tired, right? It's late. It's, you know, it's, it's almost 9 o'clock or whatever it is, and you're exhausted. And you came to class today, and you might be listening. I, I'd rather be whatever. I'd rather be outside. It's a nice night. But you came to class and you're you're sort of suffering, I hope you're enjoying it, but I can't say, I don't want to say that you're suffering, but you're sort of like, I can do be- and you're, you're here, that already takes off of your amount of suffering. But at the end of the day, you have a lot of backlog. There's a lot of stuff going on over there, so a person has to really work on, do, really, you know, do a lot of things for God to get rid of all their backlog. That's number one, to atone for a sense. Number two is to remind him to do chuba. Sometimes it's not even about the past, it's someone who's cons- consistently doing something bad. The same way the body works, the same way. If you're feeding your body unhealthy foods, what happens is you start becoming, you might get a little sick. If you're constantly, you know, if you're living your life off Cheetos and uh, Dr. Pepper, and that's your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you might come out down with some sort of situation going on over there besides adding another 150 pounds. There is, why? Because the body is saying, hey, listen, what you're doing is, is, is not good. And I'm gonna th- that's what fever, what's fever? Fever is fighting off infection. Your body gets really hot. Because it tries to, it tries to fight off an infection. That's why some, you know, when people just go, well, you have fever and you right away, you, you take Tylenol, you're, you're not solving the problem. You're sol- you're, what you're doing is, is you're stopping the, the, the situation that came in the front, but you're not actually getting to the root of the problem. If, if, if your body is doing something, there's a reason for it. If God is doing something, there's a reason for it. And it, and it could be, says the Shalai Chubam, it's for certain sins that you're doing. You're doing certain sins and God says, okay, listen, stop doing it. Send you this, send you this, send send you this, send you this suffering. I'm sorry, send you this thing, until somebody hopefully will wake up and, and realize what the what what is really going on. The the every suffering that comes upon a person, there is a reason for it. There was a, a Rav Huna. He had 400 barrels of wine that turned into vinegar, and you know, and that's a significant loss. I'm not talking about you know little. Uh, bottles of wine, I'm talking about barrels of wine, 400 barrels of wine that turned into vinegar is a, is a very hefty price. So he, the rabbis came to him and it says, uh, listen, did you look into your deeds? Because we know, we just learned, that what, if, if something bad happens, you have, to, you have to look inside your deeds and see what's going on and that God's sending me this. So he says, did you look into your deeds and see maybe you're doing something wrong? So he says, uh, do you suspect, this rabbi says, do you suspect me of doing something wrong? So the rabbis answer back to him, he says, do you suspect of God doing something in the injustice? So the, so the Rav Huna, who was the one who owned the, the 400 barrels of wine, says, listen, if you heard something about me and you, that I need to fix, just spill the beans, tell me. So he said, we heard that, you know, the, you know, there's a certain sharecropper that you don't pay his shears. So he says, of course I don't pay his shears. This guy steals from me. He doesn't leave me anything. What am I supposed to pay him? So they answered him, if somebody steals from a, a thief, he still has a taste of, uh, of thievery, a taste of, uh, of stealing. So he says, fine, I take it upon myself to pay him back. When he said that, when, he, when, he, when, when that happened... There's two opinions in the Gemara. One of them is, is that the price of vinegar went so high that he didn't lose any money. And the second opinion was that the vinegar turned back into wine. Which we see from here that if you have, if somebody has suffering that comes up on a person, if you figure out what that suffering is, and you, I mean, I'm sorry, if you figure out what that sin is, and you snip it in the butt, you actually fix it, the suffering will go away. And we also have this, uh, you know, it's a very famous story, and everybody, when everybody speaks about this, they speak about this uh, specific, particular story in Baba Metziah, page 85a, regarding Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi. 
Yehuda Nasi, he was extremely, extremely wealthy. And he had so much money that the person who was responsible of the manure of his animals was wealthier than the Persian king. The manure, you make, you make money, it's a fertilizer. So he was wealthier than the, per, the Persian king. So that's how much money he had. But he had for 13 years excruciating sufferings. He had either, uh, for I think it was for 6 or 7 years, he had uh, kidney stones. And for another 6 years... I'm sorry, six years of kidney stone and seven years of thrush. Some sort of mouth disease that is extreme. You can't put anything down. You can't basically eat anything. He had 13 years of extreme suffering. Now, why would such, this is the, by the way, this is the rabbi that compiled the Mishnah. The oral law that we know it today, all the Gemara and everything that we have today is all thanks to his work, to his work. So you're talking about not just some regular rabbi. You're talking about the top of the top of the top of the top. He says for 13 years he has suffering. And you know what the reason that this suffering came? One time, the Gemara says that uh, there was a calf, and the calf was going to be slaughtered. And the calf realized that it was going to be slaughtered, and it ran under, under the rab, under Rebbe's jacket, sort of saying, you know, please don't slaughter me. And the rabbi says, for this you were created. And he pushed it to go. He says, because of that, he says, because he didn't have mercy on the animal, he says, because of that, he had 13 years of suffering. Now, I'm going to explain it in a second what that means. But when did that suffering go, go away? This is a rabbi that compiled the oral law. He is a rabbi that had 13 Yom Kippurim. He had 13. You know, I, one, somebody once uh, came up to me and uh, um, I, I was speaking about doing Chuba uh, for previous sins. So he's like, uh, he's like, but uh, didn't we, we had Yom Kippur already. So I'm like, all right, well, what does that have to do with anything? He's like, I thought Yom Kippur, you know, cleans you out out of everything. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, you, you fasted Yom Kippur? He's like, he's like, no. He's like, you went to the synagogue Yom Kippur? He's like, uh, no. So I'm like, what do you expect, what do you think this is, uh, Christianity? Just believe in Yom Kippur and all your things are going to go away? He, 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 un, unfortunately, there's a lot, the generation that we, we are, unfortunately, lacks a lot of knowledge. And his understanding was, Yom Kippur came and we're clean. Everything is clean. You know, start again for all the sins at the beginning of the year. And, you know, it's, you, you, have to, you have to actually do tshuva, you have to actually repent. So, the 13 years he went to Yom Kippur, Rabbi, and he still did not have, he still did not get a tone, he still did not get a tone, he still had the suffering. When did the suffering go away? One time the maid was sweeping away rats. And she was sweeping it away, and he was like, "Hey, well, relax. You know, they're animals. They have, they have, you know, you have to be gentle with them." So, because he, what was the issue that he had in the beginning was that he was, you know, didn't have the mercy that he should have had for animals on his level. So, when he had the mercy that he should have had for animals with the rats, then he was healed. Now, I just want to explain that most people don't explain well, what was going on over here. The calf ran, or the calf all of a sudden knows that's going to get slaughtered, runs under, and says, "Oh, please don't." You know, how, how did that actually? Work? How did that work? So, in a Kabbalistic sense, this calf was a reincarnation of somebody. And this calf came over to, Reb, to, to, to Rebbe and he says, please, he says, don't let me get slaughtered. Slaughtering is very painful for, uh, for a soul. And additionally, he says, fix me through Kavanot. There's Kabbalistic ways that you could fix a, um, a soul without having to go through uh, the, the Shachim process. So he, this calf comes into, into, into uh, Rebbe and says, please, instead of letting me go through slaughtering and, and have me fix my tikkun, fix my rectification, that way, just fix, say some prayers for me. So, uh, it could also, but what he was nervous about, this calf, this soul, what he was nervous about is like, if I get slaughtered, maybe I'll be fed to somebody who uh, doesn't say a bracha. Maybe I'll be fed to somebody who doesn't do something, anything good. And then the, the tikkun is not there. This is such an important thing. If you are eating something, you know, it's possible that there is a neshama in that, uh, there's a soul inside that food. And when you make the bracha, and when you use the food for good, it releases it, and it lets it go to, into its rightful place. If, however, you just eat without a bracha, without a blessing, and without any, and, you know, then you, you're causing that, that soul inside that food a lot of suffering. So, 
Yes, he has to come back until he fixes it. Has to keep on coming back. And uh, so, the, also, the, just a side point is, is it's not fair. So, why is it his fault? Because it was also, yeah, it, it would also help. You I mean if you feel like you forgot to, if you're. In, as far as I know, and again, I'm not a uh, proficient in, you know, in Shal Gogolim, from my understanding, is also Rabbi Huda Fataya explains it, and in, in his Sefer Menchat Yehuda, and he explains it as somebody who, the, the Baha beforehand. It's possible also the Baha afterwards, but from whatever I read, but again, I, I yeah. So it's the Baha beforehand, but listen, the Baha afterwards, but is the Torah, So, the, so he, the, what happened was, is that this soul in the calf was nervous and afraid that maybe I'll be fed to something, someone who's not deserving, and then I won't get my tikkun, I have to come back again. So the rabbi, in his Wacha Kodesh, was able to see that, no, you're gonna, a righteous person will, will eat you, and you'll, you'll have your tikkun. That's why he didn't do it. So that's why, but what was, what was the reason that he got punished in that case? The reason why he got punished is that he should have had, uh, you know, more, more compassion. And because he didn't have more compassion, on his level, he uh, got punished for 13 years. And when did he, when did he get healed? Only when the, when he fixed the problem. This is a very important rule that we learned over here, that if suffering comes upon a person, the suffering will go away once you fix a problem that it comes. So now there's a very obvious question that it says, you know, that we have is, we don't know. You know, suffering happened. What do we know we're supposed to fix? Somebody got into a, square, a fender bender. Well, how, you know, you know how many stuff I do wrong? Oh, I'm supposed to fix. What am I supposed to do? So in essence, this is a blessing. Why is this a blessing? If let's say God would, would punish you for every little sin that you did, we'll be getting smacks left and right all day long. But God, in His abundant mercy, says, "You know what? I'll give you a little, a little smack, a little, a little flick, a little flick in the air, and uh, won't tell you what it is." So now you, you're smart. You listen to Shiul. You realize if something came uh, um, to me, I, there's a purpose of this, and I have to figure out what I have to fix. And you, but you're not sure. So now, for one little flick, you start fixing. Okay, maybe, maybe because I'm not eating kosher. Maybe because I didn't, I didn't make a blessing. Maybe because I'm not praying. Maybe because I'm not doing this. And you start fixing ten things. So with one little flick, you got fixed ten things. And so it's a good deal, as opposed to getting 10 different... So in essence, us not knowing what the reason for the suffering is, is in essence a blessing. Because we don't know, so we start fixing everything. We start fixing slowly. We know the big stuff, and then we go to the small stuff, and things like that. And then, so this is, this is in, in essence, a, the, the rachamim, the, 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 the mercy that God has for us, is He doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us what, what the suffering is for. And there, and, and hereby, we, we are, we're able to fix everything. So now there's a Gemara in Brachot, page 5, that says that if a... Now, this is what we've been saying all along. And I'll translate, I was reading Hebrew and I'll translate. If a person sees, the source of this is in Bachot, page 5. If a person sees that if suffering is coming upon himself, he should look into his deeds, introspection, like we said before, and figure out what he's doing wrong. Now what happens if he's a righteous person? Right, nothing wrong. He looked into his deeds, bad things are happening, and nothing's wrong. The Gemara says, it's bitul Torah. It's a lack of, you're not learning, you're not learning enough Torah. So the obvious question is, is that, hold on, he says, he should have realized it. If, that, that's a reason to bring suffering. He didn't, he's, he's not learning enough to lie. Why, you know, the, the Gemara asks, and there's many questions that ask on this, it says it doesn't make any sense. It says, you told me that he looked into his deeds and he couldn't find anything. And then he said, oh, it must be, uh, you know, not learning enough. So that is a thing. So why didn't he f- figure out that? So the answer is, is that there are sometimes, what, what does that mean? It means that there are sometimes that people do something wrong, but they don't know it's wrong. Why don't they know it's wrong? Because they didn't learn. They don't learn. So they go and they're saying, I'm, I'm a pretty decent guy. But what they don't realize is, be, is many things that they're doing is wrong. They just don't know it. Why don't they know it? Because they never learned it. So it says, it says the Gemara, says, you know what? If, if you can't find any suffering, that means you're lacking in knowledge in Torah. 
Go learn more. When you go learn more, you realize what you actually did wrong and what you actually missed, and then you can fix that. That's one answer. The second answer is that learning Torah protects a person from suffering. If you're learning Torah, it protects you. You have a shield. Imagine you have a nice little globe that everything bing, 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 deflects off you, right? Evil eye, doo-doo, right? Everything is deflecting off you. So the, uh, there's once to, to uh, you know, when, when I was growing up, my, uh, my father used to read to me um, stories, you know, at bedtime stories, right? Well, I'm talking about, I still remember this. I was, I, was, I was very young. And these are bedtime stories. It wasn't like, you know, Humpty Dumpty sign on the wall, you know, all that the great ashes, ashes, awful, you know, all this nonsense that they read, all these uh, books at Clifford and the big, you know, dog that weighs 17 tons, right? He, he read to me, Sipoet Sadikim, um, stories of righteous people. And he would read to me uh, of two specific Sadikim, Rabbi Elimelech and Abzusha, which were brothers, and it just so happens to be that my wife comes from their uh, their lineage, comes from uh, from the descendant of them. But he would reach me always from this story. So I want to tell you two stories uh, from this uh, these two big rabbis. So one time these are these were rabbis that used to go and exile themselves. Right nowadays, you know, it's not something that you do on, on, on a practical level, but people on a very advanced level, what they, they might want to do is they want to they would exile themselves as sort of to cleanse themselves. Right, these are talking about high Kabbalistic types of uh, of intentions and things that you, they did. So they went and they and they exiled themselves. So they would travel from place to place, Rabzusha and Rabbi and they go. And one day they are sitting in. They they stopped off at this inn and they rented a room to you know to stay the night. And meanwhile, in the inn there was a bar, and a bunch of Gentiles were drinking and getting drunk and getting rowdy. And then one of the Gentiles, when they're nice and drunk, said, "You know, we saw two rabbis, two Jewish people walk in here before. Let's get them out here, and make them dance for us, entertainment." Right, there was no televisions back then. So, you say, so they find out which room he is, they're in. And there was no electronic key cards back then. There's no like privacy, like room service come back later. You're talking about like probably curtains that they probably found. They found them in the basement in the, like one little uh, tiny room. And uh, they see a person sleeping on the floor by the doorway. So they kick him and they say, come on, you're coming with us. And they grab him and they bring him upstairs and they start throwing rocks at him and says, dance for us, dance. So he dances, what he's supposed to do. You have a bunch of drunk uh, Gentiles here, you don't, you don't mess with them. And uh, he starts dancing. And he dances, 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 dances until he's exhausted and then finally they, they entertain themselves with something else. So he goes and he goes back down and he goes back to sleep. Which is this, by the way, if you just stop it right here, it's a great story enough. You have this big rabbi that he wasn't hurt by his honor. It's like, oh, you, you know, I can't fall asleep. Look what they did to me. They embarrassed me. Humiliated me. Humiliated me. He just danced with them for who knows how long. He just went right back to sleep like nothing. And they go, and after a while, the Gentiles see, he's like, oh, wait, where did he go? He must have went back down again. So he goes back down and they, he kicks him again. He says, what are you doing sleeping? We're not finished with you. Come back up. So he comes back up, and he says, and he says, dance for us. And he starts dancing, and, you know, dancing. They're throwing stuff at him. They're laughing. They're joking. And they, uh, um, again, after a short while, they entertain themselves with something else. And all their ADDs come into effect, and they forget about him, and he goes back down to fall, fall back asleep. Now, meanwhile, his brother, who was sleeping also in the room, says, it's not fear. He says, the brother was sleeping in the back. He was sleeping in the front. He says, because every time you suffer, you're getting atonement. He says, not fear, why you get all the atonement? And I'm sitting here, I don't have to dance with them, they're not, they're not humiliating me. He says, let's switch. Let's switch space. So he says, you know what, right, I did get two good chances. You know, alright, they switched. Look how the righteous people think completely different than people nowadays. So they switch. And the brother that was sitting in the back that never asked for dance was sitting now by the doorway. And he says, in case they come back, let them pick me. So they realize after a short while again that the Jew is gone. So they go run back down to try to find him. And for some reason, this Gentile that was drunk, he says, you know what? He had a moment of mercy. He says, there's two Jews sitting over here. I keep on bothering the one by the door. So let me go, let me go this time and bother the one, uh, you know, in the back. <laughs> so he goes and he wakes up the guy in the back and says, now you, dance for us. 
So he goes, and he goes upstairs and he starts dancing. And what, what the rabbi said about this story, he says, when it's decreed from you from heaven to dance, you're going to dance. No matter, you can run, you can try to run, you can try to hide. When it's decreed, it's going to happen. There are many people that try to run away from certain things that are happening. They think that if they do certain things, if I check my mezuzot, then I don't have to keep Shabbat, and then everything is going to go away. Mezuzot is very important, and check it. Check it. You're supposed to check it every three and a half years. But don't rely on all that. If you know, you have a lot of things that you have, that person has to fix. They have to learn Torah. They have to, you know, the woman has to be modest. There's so many things that person has to do. You have to figure it out. The more you run away from it, you're just going to end up dancing later. He brings another, uh, uh, another story with the same two brothers where one of them came over to him, to Rabbi Elimelech, and he says, uh, he says, listen, I, I need to know how, how to deal with uh, hardships. You know, it's, it, you know, I've been having a lot of problems and, and I, I really don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. Can you help me? So the rabbi says, listen, I can't help you, but there's a certain uh, rabbi by the name of Rabbi Zusha. If you go to the town, to his town, you'll, he'll, be able to, uh, he'll be able to answer you. So he says, fine. So he goes and travels to the town and says, hey, listen, do you know uh, where this person, this rabbi, Rabbi Zusha is? And he said, oh yeah, he's on the way farther end of town. Right? Past all the poor people. He's like in the negative, you know, the negative poverty area. So he says, well, what could I learn from this? So he goes over to this, uh, to the, all the way, all the way, all the way down there. And he sits over there and he peeks through the window and he sees this guy, it, the shack, first of all, looks like a shack. It, it's like missing windows, missing everything. It's like, it's falling apart. And he's like, what could I learn from this, from this person? So he, he knocks on the door and the rabbi opens up, greets him nicely and he says, uh, he says, uh, you know, he invites him in and he looks around. This guy has no furniture. He sits on like a log and he sleeps on a straw bed and he's like, yeah, I really don't know how this guy's going to help me. But he says, uh, listen, I, I spoke to a rabbi and the rabbi sent me here. I have a question. My question is how to deal with suffering in life and, and problems in life. So he says, uh, he says, I don't know why your rabbi sent you here, but uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer to your question. And he says, no, no, the rabbi sent me all the way over here. I traveled for a few days. You gotta, you gotta give me an answer. And he says, listen, I, I don't know, I really don't, I wish, I don't know why your rabbi sent you here. I don't have the answer. So, and he sends him off. And he says, well, you know, he, so he sleeps that night in the, in the Beth Midrash. He sleeps in the synagogue. The next day he goes back and he says, I'm not leaving without an answer. He goes and knocks on the door and says, again to this rabbi, and he says, listen, he says, uh, you know, the rabbi sent me here. I came for a long way. Please just tell me the answer. What's the secret? What's the cap? Just tell me. And he, this rabbi says, Rabbi Zusha says, listen, I wish I could tell you, I, I, I really don't have the answer. And this guy walks off depressed, and he says, I don't understand. I walked so far, I traveled so far to get my answer to my question, now he doesn't answer. And again, he goes, stays, he stays one more night, he says, tomorrow I'm going to try one last time. And he goes knocks the next night at, the, at this rabbi's house, and he says, you gotta help me out of here, I traveled so far. Why do, why, why, why do suffering come upon a person? The rabbi sent me to you, you must know a reason, he must send you for a reason. And he says, listen, he says, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could, I wish that I could tell you why. I wish I could tell you why God sends suffering upon you. He says, but I never had a bad day in my life. Says, I live an amazing life. And he says, I wish I can't tell you the reason. And then this guy realized the answer. He says, he saw how this guy is living. And he saw how this guy thinks. He says, that's my answer to my question. His life, even though he didn't have any money, he didn't have anything, he still, in his, his mind, it was awesome. Everything was amazing. Everything was great. Why? Because God gave it to him. He felt so, Important. This is what he felt as a, uh, a is God different. It must be for a reason. This is how we have to feel. We have to feel this way. You feel that every day is an amazing day. Every day is, a, is the greatest day that, that you have. Now, I wanna I wanna also discuss. We did say that uh, why righteous people suffer. Now we're ready to give you some answers. We give you some answers is why righteous people sometimes suffer and why wicked people sometimes uh, sometimes. Uh, um, Succeed, have a successful life. If you want to look it up, these answers are in Shara Bidachon in Chovat Halvavot chapter 3. And it says the following. He says, first of all, why do righteous sometimes suffer? Number one, it could be a previous sin. 
a previous sin, even a righteous man, he might have done a sin. If he might have done a sin, so God is going to pay him in this world. It says the Gemara in Kedushin, page 39b, if somebody has sins and somebody has merits and the merits outweigh the sins, then God will say, okay, let's pay him, let's, let's uh, clean him up in this world. So in the next world, he has, uh, you know, let's give him the pennies on the dollar deal, basically. So he, as opposed to somebody who has more sins than merits, he says, listen, this guy, just, just have him, let him have a good life. Whatever, he's, he's done for. What, what is that, uh, um, what is that, you know, well, actually, we'll, we'll explain that shortly. Number two is to pay him more in the end. To pay him more. To, this righteous man, you know why he's suffering? To pay him more in the end. If this guy is going through suffering, then, uh, you know, and he takes it upon it, you know, with love, you know, that's worth a lot more. Imagine if you're doing something for God and you're, and it's hard for you, you get the fum says, uh, you know, it says that the harder something is, the greater the reward is for you to do it. This is why if somebody has a very difficult time for doing Shabbat and somebody else has a very easy time for doing Shabbat, the person who has a very hard time gets greater reward because it's more difficult for him. Make sense? Very simple, obvious. Number three is that sometimes a righteous person will suffer that other people are able to see that and they'll be like, wow, look, this guy has such a hard time and look how he's accepting everything. This guy, you know, and it's chizuk for everybody else. Now God will send them, he'll say, well, that's not fair. He says, why should this guy suffer so other people could benefit? He says, don't worry, that guy is getting benefit, he's getting reward for all of the people that he's, that he's helping. So it's a, it's a very beneficial for that righteous person. Number four, he says, sometimes that there's a wickedness of the generation. The generation is so wicked that God has two choices. Either to make a big mabu, a big uh, destruction for, for a bunch of people to die, or one person, one righteous person get, gets uh, sent to the next world. Which means is, you have, you can have 10,000 people, but they're sinners and they don't do anything and they're, they're just, and then you have one righteous person. This one righteous man outweighs all these 10,000 sinners, because this guy, all he does all day is for God, helping people, he's just an amazing person. So God says, let me take one person instead of destroying 10,000 people. And this is a story that I, I can't vouch its authenticity, but I heard it. From, and, and it's about the Baba Sali. The Baba Sali once went to Mordechai, Mordechai Eliyahu, two big, uh, two big giants in Torah, um, in Israel. And the Baba Sali, Sali the Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu said the story. He says the Baba Sali came to, after he died. He said the Baba Sali came to him, and he said that they told him, the, they told the Baba Sali in, in a, you know, from heaven, he says that there's a, a big destruction that's supposed to happen to the world. He says, but we'll give you a choice. We'll take you if, instead of doing that thing. But it's your call, whatever you want. And the Baba Sali said, I accept. And when he came and he told this uh, to Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahum, he was completely healthy at the time. Completely healthy, not sick, not anything. Three days later, a few days later, he just died. Just suddenly he just died. So sometimes God brings suffering upon a person to help, uh, help uh, you know, the suffering of the generation. It basically alleviates the suffering of generation. Number five is if somebody is, there's, there's a... Um, Agmarah in Shabbat, page 54b. That, and I want to quote this to you. Whoever can forbid his household to commit from committing a sin, which means he has people in his house that is sitting, and he can prevent them from doing it. He says, hey, what you're doing is not right. Under my house, you're not doing that. And he's able to do that. But he doesn't. His, he is held liable for those sins. Which means, and there's a very important thing that one of the topics coming up we'll, we'll speak about, is what's your obligation to rebuke your friend? If your friend's not doing something right, you have an obligation to rebuke him. And the source, one of the sources from here, it's, if it's all, first of all, it's from the Torah, but if you are, if, some, if somebody else is sinning and you could stop it and you don't, it's, you take a part of that sin. So that's like, oh, I don't want part of that. I'm not even enjoying from it. Why should I suffer from that? So sometimes the righteous people suffer. You know why they suffer? It's because they could have started screaming about people and says, hey, you guys got to start keeping Shabbat. You guys got to start keeping kosher. And he didn't. He said, I want everyone to love me. I want to have a big class. That's why I don't want to speak about those things. And if he does it for that reason, then he gets part of the punishment. That's what people come to heaven. They'll say, why don't you keep Shabbat? I'll be like, I never knew the seriousness of it. No one ever screamed at me for about it. 
So he says the righteous people, why they might sometimes suffer is if they don't prevent other people that they can prevent from sinning. Now, is, uh, additionally, is, um, is, this is not even righteous people, but it's everybody. If, when do you appreciate your life? When do you appreciate it? When you see some, and it's getting late, so we're going we're to finish up in a, in a few minutes. If, uh, when, do you, when do you actually appreciate things? And when you see how bad, sometimes, unfortunately, it's a bad way to look at life, but when you see how bad other people have it, you're like, all right, it's not so bad, right? You go visit some third world countries and you won't be worried about your lack of finding Wi-Fi, you know, as a, you're a tough day. You'll, you'll, you'll appreciate life more, right? You'll go at, um, I heard this, I forgot from where, that, uh, this, uh, you know, this rabbi said the story, basically, we had two couples that were, that were going away. And when one of the couples, when the man, the husband saw how the other wife treated her, her husband, she's like, she's like, oh my God, I'm lucky. This woman is a witch. This woman screams at him, throws things at him. This guy, this is, wow. And then after, after they leave, he gives a hug to his wife and she's like, well, are you okay? What's going on over here? And he's like, he's like, I never appreciated what I, I, you know, I didn't re- she's crazy. You're, you're awesome. This is amazing. He says, I appreciate you so much more. Sometimes you appreciate only once you have, you go through suffering or you see other people suffering. That's why the wise, who's wise? Somebody who goes and is able to learn from other people. You don't wait for the suffering to come upon you. You realize your appreciation from other people. He says, wow, that guy drove recklessly. Look at it. Look how he, you know, that car was total. No, I'm going to drive a little nicer. I'm going to drive. You realize you fix yourself by looking at, by seeing how other people live their life and seeing how their world is going. You're able to fix yourself. Now, let us give some answers on why the wicked sometimes prosper. The wicked sometimes prosper, number one, is, it says in the Torah, in Devarim, chapter 7, verse 10. God pays the wicked in their face to get rid of them from the next world. He says, you know what, you have, everybody did something good in their life. They gave some charity, they, they were smile, they were, everybody did something good. But says God, if you, you know, you're overall a wicked person, it says, I don't want you in the next world, in heaven. He says, I'm going to pay you everything in this world, so I'm kicking you out of heaven. I'm, so you're getting lost for eternity. That's one reason. Number two is a temporary deposit. You see how many people have worked so hard for the money. They slave and they work for this money. And then afterwards, they might enjoy it. They'll drive a nice car for a little bit. They'll have a little nice house. And then suddenly, they'll lose it all. It's like a bad business deal. Or they'll, you know, they'll suddenly die and some weird person inherits it. Not even their son. You know, it comes like some crazy inheritance. To, and you know, after all that work, what was God doing? He was basically using you as a, as a, you know, a middleman to go to where he needs to be. He says, yeah, collect everything because when you die, I need to send it to somebody else. So you're just holding it, basically. And then, you know, you don't really get much use out of it. That's why you see some people are just, they just uh, are very stingy. They can't, they don't even enjoy their money. They're holding it for somebody else who's gonna, who's, they're, they're basically the middleman. Number three is sometimes is the money is the cause of their evil. The money, the fact that they're wealthy is bringing them down to hell. Why? Because they, they're all arrogant, and they all, they think they're more in the world, and they cause who knows how many problems to their neighbors, to their wife, to their partners. Everything, why? Because they think I'm worth everything. So the, the source of their problems is, is the fact that they are in, uh, you know, they have, they have all this money. Now, I wanna, I wanna, this quote, this is an amazing quote that you, that you have to, uh, um, oh, we're almost finished over here. The, this amazing quote that I heard from the, it was from the Chafetz Chaim. He says like this, as people worry about having what to live, with what to live, and I ask, do you have with what to die? People are always worried, I need more money, I need more money, I need this, I need to save for retirement. And he says, you say you have something what to live for, but do you have anything with you to die for? It says Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, and he says, he says, you know, there are people that um, suffering comes upon themselves in this world, and they get very frustrated. But they don't realize the suffering in the next world. The suffering in the next world, he explains it like a mosquito bite. If someone gets a mosquito bite, it's like whatever. Okay? You see the mosquito, you throw it away, and because your mind has so many other things on it, you don't even realize sometimes that the mosquito's there. And you, you just, and even if it's, it bit you, it doesn't really hurt that much. You just itch it a little bit because you have so many things on your mind. When a person's sitting in the grave, 
after 120 years, every little prick that he gets from a war, he feels that because nothing else is going on. There's no business. There's no family. There is nothing, just him over there, and he feels every little piece of suffering. He says, what's worth it? What's worth it more to get a little bit of suffering over here than rather than deal with something in the, in the next world? And we'll finish this with this thought, is uh, um, what is suffering? What is, so now I'm telling you suffering is good, suffering can help you, suffering, but what is considered suffering? And this will make people feel better, because when you realize what suffering is and what counts of, uh, as suffering. Says the Gemara page 16b. It says, what is the smallest amount of suffering that's considered affliction, that's considered suffering? So there's a few answers. Number one, if somebody was uh, made a suit, a garment, and it doesn't fit him, that's considered suffering. Number two is if somebody wanted to mix wine with warm water and mistakenly fixed it with cold water, that's already considered suffering. Number three, if he wore his coat, coat, uh, cloak and it came out inside out, also considered suffering. And number four is even if he put his hand into his wallet to take three, three coins, but he accidentally only took two and now he has to put his hand again in the wallet to take out another coin, that's considered suffering. So we see over here every little thing that happens, this little itch, this little, oh man, you know, like you get this bird, you know, does a nice little uh, number on your on your jacket. That little suffering is actually worth something. It's actually all these little things, every little thing, you say, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, you stub your toe, Baruch Hashem, you stub Hashem. It's a good thing to practice, by the way. Usually when you stub your toe, what is the first thing that comes out to, unfortunately, in many people's mouth? Other different types of four-letter words. Get used to saying, Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Thank you, God. This is awesome. I'd much rather this than losing 10 grand, no? I'm much better than that. So you learn to say, Baruch Hashem, when, when, uh, when bad things happen. That's what it says. Just like you make a blessing on, you thank God for the, for the good, so too you thank God for the, for the bad. Uh, do we have the, two more minutes? And we can finish with this? Yes, no, maybe, I don't know, who cares? Uh, just let me get out of here quickly. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to, uh, now that I have two minutes, now that I said two minutes, I have to figure out what am I going to use for I have these two things. Let me, uh, let's do this. Okay, this is something that you, we'll finish with this thought. It's something that you have to actually concentrate a little bit, but it's very beautiful. So where, what is the source of suffering? What is, uh, like, you know, where do we see this from the Torah? So there's a Gemara. And because of all my nice papers and mess that I did over here, I can't forget, find you the, the source. But I think it's Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says as follows. He says, uh, we don't know that suffering cleans a person. And he says, we learn an out from a slave. A slave, if a slave has a master, and the master either hit, you know, hits him and he loses a tooth or an eye, the slave goes free. So he says, says we learn from here, he says, just like if a slave, if a master hits a slave and he loses a tooth or an eye, he goes free. So to somebody who has suffering cleanses him from his suffering. Then there's another rabbi, I think it was Rav Huna, but if I'm not mistaken, and he says, uh, no, it's from a different source. We learn it's something called the Gezerah Shabbat, which means is, is that there's two verses in the Torah that speaks, have the same words, we could learn things from them. It says, in regards to placing salt on meat, it speaks about the word, uh, about covenant, it says covenant, and regarding afflictions, it says covenant, so we can learn from something salt on meat and afflictions to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, suffering. Uh, for, for uh, you know, um, no, atoning uh, for it. So he says, just like when you salt the meat, it it sweetens the meat. So too, when you have suffering, it sweetens the the suffering. Now, what's the difference? Now, here is where you start enjoying learning Gemara. This is how when you start enjoying, you know, you see people that read the books. This is where you have to. I just gave you two reasons. One is from salt of the meat, and one is from uh, one is from the eye. Now it looks like I came to the same conclusion, but there's something very different. I'll tell you, it's something called the nafkamina. And nafkamina means what's the difference? I told you two things, they both come to the same conclusion. So the Baba Rabbi explains like this. He says that when the master hits a slave, when does a slave go free? Only if the master hit him. If the guy goes and starts beating himself up, right, and he knocks his tooth out, he doesn't go free. 
he has to actually have the master hit him, and then he goes free. So he says, if the if the master hits him, he goes free. Which means, is if the suffering comes upon if the suffering comes upon you from God, that means that you go that you uh, that you that it cleanses you. However, putting in the salt on the on the meat, who cares who put the salt on the meat? It could be a man, a woman, a dog. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day. It, it gets sweetened from it, though you know, it takes out all the blood and everything like that. It gets sweetened from it. So he says, just, just so we learn from over here that it doesn't matter how the suffering comes. It's your fault. It's not your fault. It comes from uh, the master. It doesn't come from the master. It doesn't matter. That point is, the meat gets salted and you are free from suffering. So over here we see that what it's much better to learn according to the person that says uh, put the salt on it. But Mayor Shapiro says like this. He says that when does a person, if let's say a slave gets knocked out, knocked out a tooth, when does he go free? He has to actually go to, to court and testify. My master hit me. He's if he sits at home and be like, well, I fell. You know, he's not really getting, uh, going free. He has to actually go to court and testify. So too, if suffering comes upon a person, he has to realize that it comes from God in order for it to atone. That's if we learn according to the slave and the master. But if we learn it from salt, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it came from, it doesn't matter. At the, at the end of the day, salt coming on there, it, it fixes it. So it doesn't, regardless of whether you know, whether you don't know, it atones. Right? So you're beginning to understand the difference between these two, uh, or am I, uh, it makes sense? Okay. The final thing I will end with this is is um, that what happens if the slave starts a fight with the with the master and then the master goes and hits him? So is he, can he go free? You don't think so? If which means is he's like he's like yo what's up? And he's like I'm your master. Don't speak to me like that. He's like oh, yeah, spits on his floor or something like that. He's like oh like you know I'll tell. And he starts instigating it right like the boxers do before the fight right the, the trash dump. What was the original like? What if he could sit? Why would he get hit other than that? No, this only works if the master hits him. Yeah, why would the master hit him? So master says he fed fed up with him. He's like, you know what? Knocks him out. Right? He knocks him out, but he instigated it. The the halakha is, still goes free. Which means there's a very strong... Why do we go through suffering? It's our fault. We instigated it. We suffered. We did certain things that caused our suffering. So he says, that's not fair. Well, we should, we should, you know, it's like, it's like somebody that punches themselves and says, ah, oh, it hurts. Please heal it, you know, of God. It's like, why did you punch yourself? But says God, no, no, no. Even though you cause it upon yourself, even though you did certain sins that made you have suffering upon it, it doesn't matter if the suffering that comes upon you cleanses it. At the end of the day, there are many things, the bad things that happen to a person. Unfortunately, throughout their life, everybody goes through suffering. Everybody has some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of suffering, unfortunately. However, what we realize is, is that it's all for our benefit. Even though it's hard to understand. And, you know, again, I bless everybody here that we should all never have any suffering. We should always only have the good in life. But if suffering do, do come, learn it. And one of the skula is to to remove any of the suffering is to bring up your emunah, bring up your, your faith in God, your faith in God. At the end of the day, this class is all about faith in God. This is all about faith. The more that faith you have in God, by the way, the more suffering that a person has, if he has faith in God, life is easier. Even if bad things happen, you say, okay, there's a bigger plan. God did this for a reason. I, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to gain from this. So already life is easier. You're, you're, you're alleviating a lot of the stress and the pain and the, you know, someone unfortunately loses their job. How am I going to pay? God's going to help. God's going to help. At the end of the day, God's going to help for everything and God does everything for you. But it's very important to wake up and make sure you get the signs. He sends you a sign. Don't wait for another sign. Fix yourself right then and right, uh, and right then, right now, actually, I should say. Any questions? No questions. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.